full circle. Full circle. Hi, I'm Miss Wanda, and this is Full Circle. Girlfriend, this is a place where you and I can connect. It's a show that embraces a 360-degree look at womanhood. It's our voice, our perspective. It's what we care about, and it's how we feel. Empowerment through conversation is what it is. This is Full Circle. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. We are still inside the Full Circle Overcomer series. And today's guest, I am super excited about. And you may know her as friend to the show, co-founder and CEO of Carrie's Touch, our favorite breast cancer organization. But today, Reverend Tammy Denise is here sharing her overcomer story with us. Now, we do know that she is praise God, a survivor of breast cancer, but there's so much more to this woman. And talking with her, I think when we did our annual show in October, we always, you know, have a little pre-show chat or whatever, and learning a bit more about her story then, and also through the years of, of knowing Reverend Tammy, I learned tidbits of her story. And, and as we were wrapping up the breast cancer show, I was telling her about the Overcomer series and she was like, you know, I, I had had this experience. I've lost my son. And I thought her story needs to be told. Her story needs to be shared. I mean, I'm sure it's been told, but, you know, shared on this platform for the Full Circle family so that we can get to know our favorite breast cancer CEO a little bit more. And also, again, you know, all of these stories are to help encourage and empower the Full Circle family and, and anyone that you share the, the show with, the podcast, but I thought it was really important to share. And I want to thank Reverend Tammy right now for taking time out of her busy, I'm sure busy Thanksgiving weekend. She's preparing for a show. We'll talk about that later. But I want to thank you, Reverend Tammy, first of all, for saying yes, for always being such a bright light and just for being willing to share yourself with the Full Circle audience. Well, Miss Wanda, that was such a gracious um, introduction. And thank you. Thank you for seeing me. That's always important because, you know, as a Black woman, I often feel that we are overlooked and dismissed. And it is interesting to me that when I am out in public, you know, those that know me, I, I am loud. I wear big hair, bright colors, and it's hard to miss me. Um, when I'm in your space and so many people that tell me they didn't see me. So thank you for seeing me and thank you for the invitation to come back and talk about a different topic that we haven't talked about again. And thank you for taking time over your holiday weekend um, to have this chat. We're going to dive right into your overcomer story. I'll let you start wherever you'd like. Give us a little bit of background before you get started in terms of reintroducing yourself to anyone that may be new to the Full Circle family. Yeah, that's such a big question. Um, I guess I, you know, I guess we'll have to do a Sankofa moment, go back to bring forth. Um, but I think my overcomer story started literally at birth because my mom <laughs> was impregnated by a man, my, my father, 
who was actually married and had another family um, unbeknownst to her. And um, so I came into this world uh, in the midst of chaos and confusion. And at that time, my grandparents basically told my mom, hey, you're not going to be out here unwed um, with this baby. And I don't know that abortion was a big thing in the 60s. um, But what I do know is that that apparently wasn't an option for my mom. And she married a a man who um, was very abusive to her. And ultimately in my childhood, he was also um, physically, verbally, and mentally abusive to me as well. So if I go back to my youth, as far as I can remember, there was violence, there was trauma, there was rejection, there was neglect. Um, You know, my mom was a phenomenal human. She didn't do all of those things. She did what so many Black women do um, out of lack for their children. So they, they overcompensate. So I always wore the best clothing. I always had, you know, an abundance of things trying to overcompensate from this abuse that I was blamed for uh, in our household. Um, And that abuse lasted until my mom's, um, well, I don't want to call him her abuser. I want to name that differently. Until the man who chose to abuse my mom um, took her life. Um, And even that uh, was was quite traumatic. And, and in 2023, I learned um, some new aspects of the story that I'm actually still processing because for 47 years, I've understood this story to be one way. And in February of 2023, I learned new information that illuminates the story differently. Um, and I don't know how graphic or detailed you want to go on this show. So I'll just, I'll just pause there and you tell me, you know, how much more you want to know. Sure. How were you when your mother um, passed away? I was 11. I was 11 and I witnessed it. I witnessed her murder. You were 11 and witnessed her murder. And it's interesting to hear you say that you have learned new facts as of this year. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm just thinking about 11 year old seeing it from that vantage point. Living in the house with all of the the abuse and things happening and having one vantage point. Where did you learn that new information? Did family come forward? Like, how did that come together for you? Because you had a vantage point, you were right there. But to learn the new information, and I understand you're still processing it. So I don't want to, you know, you know, reopen or, or, you know, make anything more, you know, put anything on top of that. But it's just interesting to hear that you were there, but you were looking from a child's point of view. And now as an adult, you learned different information. So was that a family conversation or how did that come to be? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I I guess um, 
I guess we'll have to, you know, at this point, do a trigger warning for folks because the the details are intense. It is murder and it's graphic. Um, so, you know, um, at the risk of me not taking over your show, but you don't know what I'm going to say. So, but just to say for folks that have had experiences with um, domestic violence or any type of um you know, abusive situations, just know that this, what I'm about to say might be triggering to you um, and do what you need to do to protect yourself in it. And thank you, Miss Wanda, for being concerned about me, but I'm, I'm prepared for the call. My therapist is, um, is on standby to, you know, see how I am when I come out of this. And um, I've got some good self-care in place um, for after this conversation. But um, the the short story of it is um, I was 11, my siblings and uh, my, my mom was finally um, ready to leave the abusive situation. And she, um, she had left the house and went to her parents, my grandparents' home. And that next morning, we, my siblings and I were instructed to go to school. I received a call from my mom, my mom giving me the instructions on how I was supposed to navigate school that day. And, um, you know, we weren't going to go to class. Um, We were going to go to school. My grandparents are going to pick us up from school and then take us to their house. Well, at that time we had... um, well, I mean, houses still have intercoms in them, but we had an intercom and he had rigged the intercom to where the red light wasn't on. So I thought the intercom was off. So I'm talking to my mom on the phone. In fact, I don't even know that he's still at home. He's supposed to be at work. So I don't even know that he's still at home. Um, and, um, my mom gives me the instructions. She asked me to repeat it. I'm 11. So repeat what I said to you. And I repeat it and he heard it. And so when we got to school, we get off the bus, we go to the principal's office. He is actually standing in the principal's office. And that's when he found out where my mom that, I mean, he suspected that's where my mom was, but he found out for sure that's where he was. And so my, my mom and my grandparents agreed for him to come and have a conversation with her. And he had a conversation with her. And the story that I've told for 45 years is that was myself, my mom, my grandparents, and um, the abuser were in the only people in the room. So there was no one else to have this conversation with because all of the people other than myself in that room at this point are at this point, you know, in 2020, 2023, they're no longer with us. My mom, you know, died and my grandparents died in the nineties. So there, there's nobody to have this conversation with. Um, and so I understood that I was the only person in the room that was left, that was alive. And um, the abuser, you know, asked her to ask my mom to give him another chance. And when she said no, he said, okay, he gets up, he does what he does. And I'm, you know, softening it before your listeners. He does what he does. 
Um, and my grandparents rush him out of the room. My grandmother says to me, go put your siblings in the in 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 a different room in the house. Um, and so all of that takes place and transpires and 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 so on and so forth. So there was some things happening with my siblings and we were having conversations individually. Um, and I was like saying one plus one doesn't equal two. So let's sit down and let's have a conversation. Well, in that conversation, I learned that of my, um, that my mom had four children. So of the four of us, three of us actually were in the room. I have no recollection of the other two being in the room, trauma, shock, you name it. And I know they're in the room because they tell me the story, you know, from their vantage point and they couldn't know. There's no way they could know if they weren't in the room. So I, when I say that I'm still processing it, the part that I'm processing is that I have lived, you know, for 40 plus years sad that I witnessed it, but excited that I was the only one that saw that because I know how traumatic it has been for me over the years. And I know how much therapy I have, you know, undergone as a result. And so I was excited that they didn't have that experience. Yeah, they had the experience of Lubitz and their mother, but they didn't have the experience of seeing it. And then learning that they actually did see it, it devastated me. I mean, it it probably felt more traumatic in twenty twenty in, in you know the beginning of twenty twenty three than it did forty six years ago. Wow, it's interesting that how, what first of all what trauma does to the brain that you didn't real recall and that you hear that so often in when people have traumatic events they either lose part of their memory around the event you know they don't or it's embedded so deep that it may show up in a different way so i'm curious did you lived your life thinking I was the only one that saw this. I was, you know, you were the oldest sibling. So you were the kind of protector of your brothers and sisters or your siblings. And now to learn this, did, did, was there never that level? Well, obviously there wasn't that level of conversation between then and now. And how did that come to be? No, there was never, never that level of conversation because I thought that I was the holder of this information. And why would I bring that? Okay. You, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. well, I have to have that part of the conversation with them. We had talked, um, my sister and I, um, are closer than, you know, I, let me say that differently. I am closer to my sister than I am my two brothers, my, my mom's other kids. Um, and my sister and I have had numerous conversations about our mom, but um, again, I didn't never think that yeah, because you didn't know that that was part of their experience. I didn't know that that was part of their experience, but a beautiful thing that has come out of it. Talk about overcomers. And in this particular part of the story, my sister gets to be the champion of, you know, overcoming um, you know, in, in, in this example, because, um, 
my sister was very quiet. My sister as as open and as vocal and loud and out front as I am. My sister is 100% the opposite. She never talked. She never told anybody her story. But I believe that when we did have that conversation in February, it opened up um, a healing portal for her that she ended up telling her story in greater detail. And I learned things about her and her journey that I never knew that she, you know, I won't say she hid it from me, but in her language, she kept from me to protect me because she knew how much of a protector I was of her. And she felt that had I known some of these horrific things that happened to her, that you know, I might end up in jail or killed or something because she knew that if my sister needs me, I I, I will I, I will I will get to my sister by any means necessary. So she, I feel like she gets to be the champion um, in, in, in all of that because if that conversation opened up a healing portal for her, wow, wow. You know, um, and, you know, and my, uh, my other brother that saw, you know, the situation, um, he just is process. I mean, he, he processes it differently and I don't want to, I don't want to pass judgment on him because his process is different than mine and say, oh, he's not dealing with, I, I can't say that. I don't, I don't know. But, but what he says is that he's in a good place now. And I have to accept that. That's so interesting to hear how this event, you know, of of course it had an impact, but it was impacting your siblings in a way where they were just kind of dealing with it on their own, you know, and that happens a lot is that we, sometimes we share the same trauma, but we don't share it in terms of, this is what I experienced and go through because it's, it can be so heavy. I mean, seeing your mom taken from you is heavy. I I could imagine it's heavy. How did that show up for you in your life? So you were 11 when your mom passed away. How did that show up for you? Yeah. So um, my mom's last words to me were um, Tammy Denise, take care of your brothers and your sister. Promise me you'll take care of your brothers and your sister. And for many, many years, I carried that mantle as if it was a badge of honor, not even knowing the weight and the burden it was on me to take care of my my brothers and my sister. And my brothers again showed up differently. I took care of them to the best of my ability to take care of them and the best of their ability to receive the care that I gave the way that I gave. Um, you know, I graduated high school and I didn't go back home to Indiana for literally 18 years. Um, so take care of your brothers and your sister who all live in Indianapolis, but I didn't go home. It became very, very peculiar space. And um, 
my baby brother, he's only come to California to visit me one time. And um, he, he's younger than me, but he's the oldest boy. Um, he he hasn't come to California California to visit me ever. So in that space of take care of your brother and sister, I wrestled. But what I knew is that when I was in eighth grade, I learned uh, about animals in the wild and survival of the fittest. And survival of the fittest meant that you had to be strong to survive the jungle. And so I made sure that I was always the fittest, whether that meant being street smart, whether that meant being money smart, whether that meant being um, savvy, a manipulator, um, sometimes dishonest. <laughs> and I, I I don't know that people call this you know, thievery, uh, when you manipulate somebody out of something that, you know, they really didn't intend to give to you, or they didn't even have the means to give to you, but you just were good at that craft. Um, so I, you know, I stole from people in that regard, um, whatever it meant to be fit, you know, in those early ages and stages. And in college, I, I went to college. I didn't go to college for a higher education. I didn't go to college to um, gain information and knowledge that would help me build a better future. I went to college because I was homeless. I went to college because I found out that there was a such thing as room and board. And that meant I had a, a solid place to eat. I mean, to sleep every night that was mine and a solid place to eat every day, three meals a day. I, okay. All I got to do is make, make sure I get a C in my classes, you know? And so that's was survival of the fittest for, for me, um, during that time. Um, so I had to condition myself to always be the best version of me in order to attract whatever it was I might need. That was, lo <laughs> that was loaded. <laughs> that was, but it also, it, it also explains to me as, and I'm going to say your friend, because I, I do believe that we're friends Absolutely. as your friends. It shows me where you get that drive from as the CEO of an organization. It, sh it shows me how, why you operate in such excellence. And so that, that just gives me a clearer picture on who you are. I want to just talk one more thing about this incident and then we'll take a break and then we'll transition to something else. But so when your mother passed away, I assume you were raised by your grandparents. Correct. Yes. What impact and what was that relationship once your grandparents saw their their daughter being taken from them? And how did they move forward in terms of raising you all and the relationship between you all? Yeah. So it's twofold, right? It's it's what was happening in the moment. And then as an adult, me realizing what was actually happening in that moment right? As children, we didn't really miss a beat too much. You know, we, it wasn't like it was uncommon for us to go to our grandparents' house to spend the weekend and, um, you know, go to church with them and do all, all of the things. It's just like regular 
grandparents, you know, gr- grandmothers are great. <laughs> and you, you, you do all of that. Um, my grandmother and I had a very special relationship in that, that burden for me to take care of my siblings was being passed down, even though my mom said it. I don't know if my grandmother could hear us or not. There was things that were happening, blah, blah, blah. And so when I was able to get to my mom and my mom said those things to me to you know take care of my siblings. Um, but my grandmother, we'd sit up late night and we would eat, um, this This will tell you the country girl in me, um, we'd eat, uh, we'd get a glass, 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 um, and pour buttermilk and put um, cornbread in the buttermilk. And we'd sit up and watch, eat that and watch Johnny Carson. And we'd just talk and talk about life. And I come from a family of um, light-skinned folk. So in my family, I'm dark. Um, and I mean, I, I I am dark, but I don't come from a family of dark people. Let me say it that way. So my grandmother would tell me that I was beautiful because I come from a family of light-skinned folk. And you you know that colorism thing is still a thing. So my grandmother would tell me that I'm beautiful, that I'm capable, that I could do and I could be anything, and that she wanted me to take care of um, my, my siblings and such. And so we had those endearing moments that I cherished. So it wasn't as abrupt for me because, you know, coming out of a household where I was beaten regularly, I was blamed for every, everything. I had to do excessive chores. I mean, you know, Cinderella, so to speak, had to do the excessive chores, you know, all, all of the time. I uh, My mom was beaten if my mom took me to see my biological dad. So all of that trauma and drama coming into my grandparents' home for me was peace. They, it was filled with love. It was filled with acceptance. It was filled with encouragement and support, you know, and that's really where I got my um, faith foundation was in my grandparents' home. So that was the first four years. My grandmother died while I was away at summer camp um, four years you know, uh, after we were there, we got there when we were 11. So at 15, my grandmother died. That's when all hell broke loose because my grandfather turned into the abuser that we lived with and, you know, in our old house, my grandfather was angry and displaced. Today, I can say it's displaced anger. He was grieving the loss of his daughter. He was grieving the loss of his wife. And he had to put the that grief somewhere. And I was the perfect target because I was the illegitimate child that caused all of this disruption in our household and in our family. Um, and that's when I left that household because at that point I was I was like oh no I know what this hell looks like I'm not doing this again and so I literally in high school I would stay with this friend or that friend or that friend and one of my friends I would have to sneak in their house at you know after her parents went to bed I'd have to sneak out of the house and um you know before they got up to go to work and I walked a lot I walked all over the city um and you know, then I connected with my biological father 
And um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. To not make this just like, so my biological father um, agreed that I could come live with him and his wife and their five children, their five boys, but he didn't have the conversation with his wife. All of a sudden, his illegitimate, um, you know, 16-year-old daughter shows up at their doorstep with her bags. The the 16-year-old daughter who's 30 days older than her middle son, the 16-year-old daughter that looks just like her dad, you know, I look just like my dad, and then the brother that I'm 30 days older than, we actually look like twins. So the 16-year-old daughter that reminds her of his infidelity and just all of this trauma, right? So um so yeah, so so that that's my dad, that's my biological dad. But going back to my grandparents, um the transition wasn't hard for me because it was peaceful. Um and as an adult who's done a lot of therapy, who's done a lot of work, I have so much empathy for them and for someone who's lost their child to understand what they actually did, they brought in four of their dead daughter's children to raise us. And with no resources, no understanding about therapy, you know, I've had family members go, why did they put y'all in therapy? I said, well, if you knew that therapy was a thing, why didn't you come and suggest it? You know, so um, they they were they were loving um, and gracious then, and even my grandfather, in all of his vitriol that was you know spewed at me, he was grieving immensely, and I understand that now as an adult, and I am able to forgive him in ways that I wasn't able to forgive him then because he was really mean to me. Oh, <laughs> you weren't ready for all this. I know. No, it, it's I. I wasn't, but it it it's. You know, as you were talking, all I can think of is, is that you have done a level of work on yourself mm. that I think a lot of people would have still to this day been so stuck in the trauma. You know, of the rejection of your father of your grandfather and being able to put different, a different lens on it. Of course, when you're 15, 11, 12, 13, 15, you don't know what it is. Like we weren't even as a culture in tune with things and people's emotions the way we are now. So have to having to have to go through that um, and experience those things and, you know, a lot of people would still be stuck in anger and not know how to process and not know how to articulate or verbalize the feelings, let alone the forgiveness piece of it all. Mm-hmm. I just want to applaud you for the work that you've done. Yeah. And knowing now you can see it differently. Doesn't make the pain go away, doesn't make it less traumatic, but now you can see it from a different vantage point. And so that's what I was thinking. It was like, man, that really had to take a lot of work, a lot of digging deep. And um, 
I don't know if you've ever heard any shows with me and Sean, uh, Sean L. Brown. She's always talking about the root system and a root system reboot where you digging into the roots of how things, you know, of how things show up and the roots to those particular yeah. actions and in instances and things like that. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back more with friends of the show, Reverend Tammy Denise and her Overcomer Story family. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. This is Full Circle. Empowerment through conversation. That starts with you. Tell us what topics you want to hear. Drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. She's empowering women through conversation. She's Miss Wanda, and this is Full Circle. We're back, family. Thank you so much for staying with the program. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. Inside the Full Circle Overcomer Series with friend to the show, Reverend Tammy Denise, co-founder and CEO of Carrie's Touch. But she is so much more than that. This is a whole round. Round wasn't the word I was trying to say. <laughs> It's all good. I'm round. <laughs> Well-rounded woman is what I was trying to say. And if you're just tuning in, um, make sure that you go back and listen to the podcast. Reverend Tammy is has a powerful testimony, and I want to make sure that you hear it in its entirety. Before we went to the break, Reverend Tammy, you talked about your experience um, growing up in an abusive household, losing your mother at 11, and you know having to live with your grandparents, your grandparents having to deal with their own grief while raising their daughter's children. Um, and then that tumultuous relationship once your grandmother died with your with your grandfather and then turning to your father who had his own set of issues. And you're still you're, you're a young lady, you're 15, 16 years old. And I just want to applaud the fact that not only are you still standing, but you're still standing and operating from my vantage point in a space of understanding, in a space of gratitude, if I can use that word, and also in a in a healed space, which I think a lot of people would have either one or the other. Either I'm walking and healing, but I'm still angry about this, or I'm, you know, not let go of the anger, but I haven't forgiven, you know, that like we can have either or, and I'm not sure if that's any part of that resonates with who you are today, but I just find it really interesting. And I'm grateful to see, you know, to know the woman that you are now, never having known your backstory, it just illuminates and gives me even a greater respect for you. Like I said, because you are this woman that's championing for other people when you have gone through so much and you've literally had to be your own champion. Wow. Um, you know, as, as part of healing, um, it, it healing is being able to accept when people see see you. So thank you again. Thank you for seeing me. Um, and I, I define healing as a lifelong process because experiencing trauma for as long as I can remember what I know at, you know, 58 years old is that it shows up differently and you never know what the trigger is going to be and how it it will happen. Um, you know, when we were before the break, 
Um, I mentioned briefly about my dad and, and his things and, and so on and so forth. And so I finished high school with my dad and I started college um, with with my dad in my life. But my dad and I had a very tumultuous relationship. And not that we disagreed or argued or anything like that. He just never chose me. He just never chose to be part of my life. And I was like so many little girls who want their daddies to be their heroes. They want their daddies to be our supermen. We want our daddies to be our superman, our protector, you know, that person. And I never had that. And I remember 10 years ago, so 2013 was, um, I, I have coined it to be, 2013 was the year of no words because there were experiences that took place in 2013 that either left me speechless or people had no words and how to respond to me. So in 2013, um, I lost my sister who was also, I'm not, not, the not the sister not my mom's daughter i lost my sister who was also my best friend who was also my business partner the co-founder of carrie's touch um she she died in may of 2013 in september of 2013 i had a major back surgery that left me bedridden for four months in a body cast october while i was in rehab and you know for my back um my dad, my estranged dad died because I had decided he's gone. I, I can't chase this man anymore in my life. So um, that was um, in, in October 2013. I heard, I got the call that my dad had died. And my response to that, the therapist, the hospital therapist came in and she was like, oh, you and your father must have been so close. I mean, I had a visceral response. I mean, I um, vomited. I, I was hyperventilating, had an anxiety attack. I was a mess. So she just figured that my dad was all of those things. My hero that we were close. I was like, no, I haven't talked to my dad in four years. And I said, I'm pissed. And I'm pissed because he died. And now I can never resolve the unresolved issues. Right. And so I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, <laughs> but, but it, so, so I had that in 2013 and, and that was in October of 2013. I'm still in the body cast, still bedridden. And in December, 2013 is when the bottom fell out for me is when I lost my baby boy. And so I just was speechless and just overwhelmed and losing my baby boy sent me all the way back to 11 years old and witnessing my mom's murder. And so reliving that, even though I didn't witness my, my baby boy's murder or, or anything like that, it triggered me and it sent me back to 1976. And I, and in 2013, I had to relive and well in 2014 I had to relive and go through all of that work again a with a different therapist because I was no longer with that therapist um and b with having lived life for 30 plus years and all that came along with it because I was a different person 
So when we talk about healing, I feel like healing is a lifelong process. I feel like we are ever evolving and ever, every day we have to make a choice. No, I'll say that differently. Every day we get to make a choice and we can choose to be better today than we were yesterday. We can choose to be worse today than we were yesterday. And at best, we can choose to maintain and not tip the scale either way. A, a lot of people give you this, you can be better than you were yesterday, you can be worse than you were. And, but some days, that's where mental health days came from. Some days you just got to maintain. I just got to stay right here. You know, if I don't gain weight, if I don't lose weight, I, it's fine. I just don't want to gain weight, right? You got to just stay right here. And I fight for that every single day, especially since 2013 and losing my baby boy. Every day that I wake up and I open my eyes, I fight for life. I fight for healing. I fight for peace. I fight for more love in my heart because when I have more love in my heart, I have more compassion for me first. And then I can have more compassion for others. I have chosen not to live in chaos because I grew up in chaos. That's all I knew. I have chosen, you know, you know, in, in my marriage, my marriage got to a point where it was chaos and it, I refused to live that way. My husband was not physically abusive, but emotionally abusive. He wasn't, he wasn't um, verbally abusive. He didn't call me bad names, but emotionally very much abusive. Very, very, very much so. Um, and while I have come to a, a, a different place of resolve, even with him, I still protect myself. He and I share children, you know, he lost his son. Um, and it was a, that was also a beautiful opportunity for us to reconcile, you know, our differences and to be at peace and harmony um, when we engage and encounter each other and, and you know, for, for 10 years we have, but it took that tragedy and that trauma. And it also took me standing firm in who I am and my healing journey and my healing process and having clear, unapologetic boundaries that protect me from all of these external barriers that controlled my life at one point. Did you think, so you're moving along with life and your sister Carrie gets ill. She gets breast cancer, right? Was that? No, Carrie is my mom. Carrie is my mom. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yep, I don't Carrie, know why. Yeah. I, okay. Yep. Carrie is my mom. Lynn is my sister. That, okay. So your it, sister, Lynn, she, she gets breast cancer. She gets bladder cancer. Okay. All right. So she is, she's ill. She passes away from the disease. You're grieving the loss of your sister, but that's the grieving the loss of your sister. And then you have this major tragedy. Well, and then you have this surgery, which is again, something traumatic. So again, the traumas are starting to build up. Um, and you're in this, you're in this immobile state. 
And then are you on the road to recovery in a sense uh, from the loss of your sister, like able to start to process the grief and also on the road to recovery from this surgery where you're, I, I imagine by the time your, your son passes away, you're out of the body cast. No. Oh, no. No. I, I learned about my son lying in bed and couldn't even get up oh. mm -hmm. until somebody came and put the, um, the body cast on me so that I could even attempt to sit up. Mm -hmm. So can you take us back to that time when your son passed away? And because, well, before we go there, the fact that it, you're moving along with life. So where I was trying to go was you're moving along with life and you have this trauma that sends you all the way back to trauma that you may have thought you were healed from you know what I mean like it reopened wounds that you may have even thought or I would think that I'm not gonna say we're no longer there because I do think that it's a ever mm -hmm. it's an ongoing process but had been healed enough from yeah. that this I'm trying to choose my words very carefully should have been something new and I'm using air quotes there do you do you get where I'm coming from like how did that take me back to that yeah. is I think what the question that I think I would be saying if that were me. Yeah. 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 So if I understand the question, um, you are right. I won't say that I felt like that I was healed from, you know, the trauma uh, that I experienced as a child, but I had learned tools to help me better navigate life. Yeah. When those triggers even came about, you know, at that point, you know, yeah. it, it, as, as much as um, the phrase time heals, everything is um, false. It's also true because while it doesn't necessarily take the pain completely away, it does give you an opportunity to figure out how to navigate life and not have that trauma or that pain totally consume you. So what the, it's so bizarre. What, what it took me back to was there were a few um, experiences that I had living in my grandparents' house. I mean, it, the, the story is big and I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I keep editing so that I don't say something that takes us down another <laughs> road because it's a lot, it's a lot, but there was, there were a, very few um, happy moments. One of the happy moments is we lived around the corner from, uh, you know, at that time, it was a local bakery that made amazing um, um, pastries. And um, I would get chocolate chip cookies. Well, there's a local bakery here in Sacramento that the only thing that would get me up because this was, you know, this, so that all happened in de December. The body cast came off in January. Um, I started, you know, my in at home rehab um, by March. And so by March of 2014, I was back at home and I was starting to drive again. Um, and I would get up at my, my, my son, who's in the other room right now, who thank God is um, a medical student. Uh, um, resident 
um, currently at the time he was taking his MCAT to even, you know, go into medical school. But nonetheless, you know, Trey's brother, Tristan, was in the other room. And every day I would get up and I would just watch him and just try to figure out, oh, my God, how how do I show him life? How do I show him how to get up again when I just wanted to either be with my baby? I wasn't suicidal, but I wanted to be with my baby, you know, and I wanted him to be home. Tristan and I are very, very quiet um, at home. We Tristan and I could be in the same house together. And if we don't intentionally start conversation, it can just be quiet the whole time. Trey was loud. Trey was disruptive. Trey burst in your room. Trey was all of the activity, all of the fun in the house. And so here's, you know, Tristan and I just in here and I'm lying in this bed going, how do I get up? And the thing that got me up was going to this bakery and getting two chocolate chip cookies. And when I went to this bakery to get these two chocolate chip cookies, it took me back to 1976, 1977, 1970, you know, the 70s when I would go to that bakery at home to get two chocolate chip cookies. I did that for almost a year. The absolutely only reason I got up was to get up and go get those cookies. Some days there was other things that I would do. Some days I'd make it to church. Some days I would do this or that. But the reason I actually got up and got out of bed was because at some point in that day, I was going to get up and get those cookies. And so the people at the bakery, they were like, well, A, it's cheaper. Why don't you just buy a dozen? (laughs) It's cheaper that way, but it's also cheaper because you're not spending gas to come here, this bakery every day. And I was like, nope, I got to come here and I got to get two. So in therapy, my therapist said, what we have to do is we have to break the cycle. Because until you break that cycle, you're going to keep living this loop. It's almost like Groundhog Day, that movie Groundhog Day. You've got to break this loop. And so what the challenge or the charge to me was to buy three cookies one day. One day I went and bought three cookies. To this day, I've not had another chocolate chip cookie from that bakery. Amazing. Is <laughs> that I mean, it's not, I mean, it sounds simple, but you heard me say it took almost a year to do it, but it took that time. And in that time, I'm talking to my therapist. We're working through the tears. We're working through, you know, what it could be. And I think for her and I, in our discovery is that the thing was that it was compound trauma, trauma, you know, like she said, any one of these things could have taken you out, period. Yeah. You add four major life occurrences over the span of six months. And, you know, she was like, if you got up and started banging your head on the wall, I would not say that that was abnormal, you know? And so I, I, and I talk about all of these things, Miss Wanda, and I, I have to be transparent in in the negative side of it, right? I fight every day because even though it was two cookies then, anybody that knows me knows I I love donuts. And, you know, I fight every day to not allow food, period. But 
in particular sugar control the peace and harmony in my mind because that is creating havoc and another war in my body um, as a result. So I don't want to minimize the complexity of how navigating trauma shows up in our lives and how it's a perpetual fight and a battle. And I, 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 I have to navigate it every day. I I've had a therapist for over 35 years. I currently have four and you know, they, they, we, we talk about different aspects of my life. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was very helpful to say. And I, I feel like that gives permission to gives helps people give themselves permission to really acknowledge and to dig deep into those areas. I mean, even the chocolate chip cookie example, like you said, it may sound, I don't want to say trivial, but light, mm-hmm. um, but there was so much significance to that. Mm-hmm. And it's recognizing those patterns and then digging down to what's the root cause of why we do the things that we do mm-hmm. and giving ourselves permission to do that and to let and to recognize that the pattern may be controlling us in a way. And I'm kind of talking to myself right now, too. Um, but how do we break that cycle once and for all? And maybe and sometimes we need to partner with people to help us to be able to do that, to show us because we're so much in the middle of the cycle or in the middle of the pattern that we can't see or really be able to recognize, hey, this really is a pattern mm-hmm. and 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 to be able to navigate out from there. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, more conversation with our friend to the show, Reverend Tammy Denise. We are inside the Full Circle Overcomer series. We'll be right back after this. This is Full Circle Family. Stay close. Like and share our Facebook page at Full Circle 97.5. And we're back with Miss Wanda, life coach, motivational speaker, and friend to sisters everywhere. This is Full Circle. Family, thank you so much for staying with the program. Full Circle Overcomer Series. As you know, I am your host, Miss Wanda. We are having a conversation with friends of the show, Reverend Tammy Denise. She's the co-founder and CEO of Carrie's Touch, our favorite breast cancer organization here at Full Circle. But also, Reverend Tammy is sharing her story beyond the breast cancer. Ooh, girl, if you uh, want to use that for the title of your next book, go ahead. <laughs> You were already in my wheelhouse. Don't, don't. <laughs> Beyond the breast cancer. And, and we're talking about her experiences through life. And we were just at a point where she shared a, a lot of the traumas from growing up. And then also um, just a, a bit of a major tragedy that happened in 2013 when she lost her own child. I don't know, Reverend Tammy, do we want to talk about that first and then talk about how kind of your faith brought you through or I'm going to let you lead here a little bit? Well, (laughs) (laughs) let's see. We can talk about faith. I mean, because faith is definitely the common denominator throughout my life that has been the glue that's held me together. I, I think I talked earlier about being raised in the church and going to church with my grandparents and 
um, I, I, I learned about faith and I learned about God. And I think my relationship with God has more to do with my trauma and my experiences with God than any embedded theology that, you know, I was ever taught. You know, I hear a lot in our community, um, meaning the black community about, um, the white man's God or, um, Jesus and colonizers taught us this and colonizers taught us that. And while that might be true for some people and many people, I'm not here to negate that. Um, but what I am here to say that because I've had so much trauma in my life and because there were many, many, many times in my life when I felt like I was alone that no one could understand and that I needed protection. I told you earlier about me. I'm I'm coming into people's houses through a window at 10 o'clock at night and up at six o'clock in the morning going out danger. There was a lot. I experienced a lot of danger. Um, and so I know in those moments when I'm walking by myself, you know, to various places. Um, I know that God was with me. I know that God was guiding me. I know that God was protecting me. I know that beyond what anybody can tell me, I know my experiences with God. And later in life, and then after I answered my call to preach, um, I then learned through the Christian Bible more about God um, biblically. So it's not far-fetched or hard for me to resonate with so many of the biblical overcomer stories because I lived so many of them. Um, And God still... um, remains a significant part uh, of my life. Um, we, we talk about, you know, approaching the 10 year anniversary of, you know, well, it's the 10 years since my sister's passing the back surgery, my dad's passing, and then upcoming, you know, my son's passing. And I can tell you this, that every single day for the past 10 years, God has shown up and shown up magnificently, even on the days I can't get out of bed, even on the days that I still cry, even on the days that I might find comfort in food, even on the days that I might not be my best. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, I'm paraphrasing, but it talks about new mercies being in each and every day. And I hold God accountable to God's word that tells me that each day would be filled with those new mercies. And I say, God, I expect your new mercies to greet me. And they do every day. And I can say for 10 solid years, without a doubt, every day. God's new mercies, they greet me and they comfort me. And that above anything else that I have done at any point in my life, my relationship with God 
and my relationship with my understanding of who God is in my life, it gives me great joy to be able to answer my call to preach that God, to preach that gospel, a gospel that's bigger and big enough to hold us all. And that God for me loves every single person on this earth. Amen. You have a deep faith and trust and and deep relationship with God. But let's go back to December 2013 and the time between then and sometime thereafter in terms of your relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Did you, well, let's talk about your son's passing. And then did you ever have a point where you, your relationship with God was strained as a result of this tragedy? Mm. Absolutely. It was strained. Before this tragedy, there were several times in my throughout my lifetime that my relationship was strained with God, but for not not but and for me, that's what makes it so much more special because even in those moments, God was like, Girl, I got you. I know you mad. You can get over there and you can be mad, but I'ma still protect you. I'ma still be here for you. I'm gonna still give you what you need. You can go on over there and be mad. And so I tell people all the time, I understand, especially in breast cancer. I know we're not talking about Carrie Sutch, but especially women in breast cancer who are mad at God mad at God. I say, girl, I get it. I'm not mad at you. And you go on and you can be mad at God. God is not tripping on your temper tantrum. God is big enough to hold you and your temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. Get ready. God will be right there. And yes, absolutely. Um, I had a moment just a few days ago. I was, I don't remember exactly what happened and it was a tray moment and i just got mad and i was like why isn't he here i was like god he's supposed to be here why isn't he here you know and i just i was angry in that moment and i allow myself an opportunity to get angry i don't i'm not this person that is always up and always yeah and glass half full. Sometimes the glass is not only half empty, sometimes that daggone thing is empty. Mm-hmm. And I let the glass be empty, knowing that most days, 95% of the days I'm getting up, fighting to either figure out how to refill that cup or, 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 or I guess that's where the new mercies come in. Because if I can't, fill it. I am definitely saying, okay, God, I I need you to, to fill this cup. And no, God is not my servant. And no, I don't think God, you know, jumps at my command, Mm -hmm. but I think God is who God shows up to be in many ways um, that we read in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Take us back to when you, when your son passed. Okay. Just a bit. What do you want to know? Don't edit your question. Just, just. No, I'm I'm trying to think of what, what, what is it that, 
will bring value to the conversation. I don't, I don't want to, I never want to be salacious. I want something that actually brings value. Um, hmm. So I, I think I might be able to respond um, from that point, from that vantage point um, without going into all of the details of that day. Yeah. What I talk about from that day that, that I, that was the most important to me was um i i have a friend um uh, reverend dr tawana uh davis um who says that we heal in community um and there was no truer um expression of those words than it was not just on that day but throughout this process when I, when we first learned about Trey and the call went out, um, I mean, people came running to hold me up in ways that I wouldn't have known to ask for, in ways in that moment that I didn't understand, nor did I appreciate it because I was in shock, I was in disbelief. I was like, wait, what's going on? And I'll never forget um, another sister friend, and I'll name her too, um, Patrice. She said, Tam, I know you don't want to hear this right now. Through her tears, through her gasping, and I know you don't want to hear this right now. She said, but God is going to use you and this experience to bless other people. And I, I all but cussed her out. And <laughs> basically, you know, I'm in shock. I got this body cast on. I'm. I have this walker. I've got to go down to the police station. And in my brain, I wasn't even going down to the police station to be questioned, like I was questioned. I was going to the police station to get some information and answers about this shooting that just happened with my son. But when I got there, I was pretty much interrogated about where I was. Man, do you see me? Where do you think? was where could I have been that was not driving a car oh yeah 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 <laughs> but the people that held me up in one way the church was problematic because the church ran to me and said um you know every person that came to me said weeping may endure for a oh. night but joy comes in the morning and i said to one of my friends i said if one more person comes in this room and says to me weeping may endure for the night and joy comes in the morning i am going to slap them as hard as i possibly can you know and it got to the point i would tell people don't come to me saying no weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning and in time in the midnight hour, God revealed to me that God was talking about M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G and not necessarily M-O-R-N-I-N-G. And that was God's way of giving me permission to grieve, permission to mourn, permission to have all of the feelings and experiences and thoughts that I needed to have for as long as I had them. And then when I was able to get over the hump, um, not all of them, I'll say a hump, get over one of the humps. 
that's when sunrise would begin to peek through just a little bit. And I could get the beginnings of the M-O-R versus the M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And so for, for me going back to that day and all of the people being around me in community really, really opened up space for me to mourn. I have another sister friend. I'm going to name her, uh, um, you know, Stacy. She said, Miss Tammy, for the next year or even two years, you don't have to do nothing you don't want to do. You call me and I got it. And to this day, I can show you text messages from her yesterday and this morning checking on me about where was I going to be? Where was Tristan going to be for, you know, the holiday? So when I think back to that time and what's most beneficial, what could be most beneficial for your listeners, it's if the tragedy happens to you, drop the superwoman syndrome, super black, strong black woman, super woman syndrome is trying to be all things to all people all the time perfectly while suffering alone in silence. And that is the trope that black women have been plagued with, whether they want to carry it or not. We do. Oftentimes we don't know how to accept help. We don't know how to say no. We don't even know how to say yes. I know how to receive. And so that day, that experience, I had to say yes. I ha- I I couldn't do it. I was lying in a bed and could not get, I couldn't go to the bathroom without somebody's help. So I had to learn how to say yes in that moment and be able to receive. So if it's happening to you, allow people to allow you to mourn. And if it's not happening to you, give the person that you're going to share space with permission to mourn. Sometimes go and don't say anything. Remember, I I coined 2013, the year of no words. You can just go and say, I love you. I'm sitting in the other room. If you need something, holler. Don't go in there talking, doing all this. I had somebody come and they were talking about some challenges that they were having in their life. And I, I get it. People don't know what to do. They don't know what to say, but, but, but I'm here to help you in moments like that. The, the fewer, the words, <laughs> um, the, the better, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Community. I, I I'm thankful to God for community. Um, oh, I was, I had started to say there was times that, that the church was problematic and church folk were problematic. And then there were times where the church folk were brilliant. I mean, the number of preachers that showed up to trade service, I was like, whoa, overwhelmed with community coming together to hold me up. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that wisdom. Thank you for 
taking that question and I wasn't quite sure where to go with it. I definitely didn't want to talk about the actual moment. So I thank you for sharing that. Um, You know, you eloquently talked about your experience in your TED talk, Mm -hmm. uh, which was, wasn't it entitled toxic strength or or something around that? Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure I I had it right. Um, and, And it sounds like you kind of talked about that a little bit in what you just mentioned just now and that, you know, we think that when something happens, we have to take care of it all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because that's what we've been socialized to believe, mm-hmm. especially black women. Black women have been socialized to believe that we have to take care of Massa's children, whether we call, you know, them Massa and Massa can look very differently than it. it Massa can look in differently in different situations. But we feel like we have to. That defines so many of us. So many of us say, oh, I'm just a caregiver. Oh, this is just what I do. And I push back and ask, is it just what you do or because that's something you enjoy? Or is it what you do because that's what is expected of you? Or is it what you do because that's all you've ever done? Do you know how to do something differently? Do you know how to find joy in other ways? Right? And so teaching Black women to prioritize self and self-care really is what came out of um, toxic strength and why I felt that that was a topic that needed to be discussed. You know, again, trying to be all things to all people all the time perfectly while suffering alone in silence. And the perfectly comes from girl. That what's that phrase? Oh, thank God. I don't look like what I've been through. (laughs) I'm like, is that a good thing? Yeah. Is it a good thing? Because then you teach people that you don't need help. You teach people that you have it all together. That's where that suffering alone and silence piece comes from. Yeah. Yeah. In your healing journey after the loss of your son, how, you know, how did you support your children through that Mm. for their for their own healing um because i'm such a big advocate of therapy i just have not stopped with um encouraging them to go to therapy um i have we talk about trey um I, you know, I might have to put my shoes and, and socks back on from yesterday and take a picture and take a picture of them. But um, I wore Vans and colorful socks yesterday um, to honor Trey for for Thanksgiving. I wanted him to be with me. So we, we talk about Trey. We keep him present and alive and it's not taboo. And there's some days that we are able to laugh and, and enjoy him. And there are other days that we grieve and miss him immensely. Um, and then in therapy and acknowledging that death is a part of life and none of us are going to bypass it and we can't get stuck, um, in the grief because it'll, it'll hold us back. And I think each of us at some point in the healing journey, we've seen that play itself out and we've had to take um, those additional steps. And I'm uh, proud of my adult humans that they have taken those steps. They continue to take the necessary steps to make sure that they are healing and addressing their grief. 
That's beautiful. And I'm glad that I'm glad you said that too, about how it's, you can talk about Trey and, you know, you experience whatever emotions, whether they're happy or whether sometimes they're sad, but you talk about him. And I know a lot of times in families, it's like, once that person's gone, especially if they are a young person, like your son was a young person and they might've had a tragic ending um, that it's more like, Oh, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to make anyone upset. We don't want to get, make anyone sad or, you know, trying to be protective when that actually, I think does the opposite because I think it's feel, it seems like it would be cathartic or therapeutic to, continue to share memories and, and talk about, oh, he would have liked this or, you know, all of those things. Absolutely. And we talk about the good, the bad and the ugly. Trey um, was a very vibrant young man at 21 years young. And um, he made some choices that angered some of us. (laughs) And and he brought much more joy than any of the, the, anger that that we experienced with a typical 21 year old doing 21 year old stuff you know Mm -hmm. 10 years later I can say that in the moment I was like oh my goodness this kid this kid but he's 21 being 21 um and yeah we we definitely very much keep him and his spirit alive that's wonderful before we um, started uh, the show, we, you and I talked about um, something that you're embarking on. Mm. Um, and I want to bring that up because we, I want to also talk about the thread that connects you to the character. So Reverend Tammy family, get your tickets, Celebration Arts, A Raisin in the Sun. It starts, I think, December 2nd? December 1st. December 1st. It starts December 1st. So get your tickets. It's running the whole month of December for the most part. And um, it is, what'd you say? Until Christmas Eve. Until Christmas Eve. So, oh, that'd be a perfect. Go Christmas Eve and spend it at Celebration Arts. But, you know, A, a Raisin in the Sun is a Lorraine Hansberry classic. We've seen it, you know, in movies and you may have seen it in, in theater productions throughout the years. And Reverend Tammy stars as Lena Younger. And I want to, I want to, of course, pump up the show. I'm going to be there. I asked my mom yesterday, like, you want to go see Raising the Sun? So me and my mom will be there. But um, I wanted to talk about your character a little bit and the theme that you found between yourself, the connection you found between yourself and the character that you play. Because for me, our conversation pre-show was, um, you know, like I said, it gave me, it gives me a different perspective going in to watch you play this character when I come um, see you uh, in the production uh, in December. So talk about, you know, what you're doing and then talk about the connection between you and the character that you play. Yeah. So um, I have been a part of theater um, for the majority of my life. I performed in shows in high school and college um, and in Sacramento for more than 30 years. Um, This, you know, talk about full circle. This show is a full circle moment. When I first landed on the theater scene um, 30 plus years ago, I was a stagehand for A Raisin in the Sun. Uh, There's a couple of quick changes that, that take place. And so we had, um, uh, I was uh, a dresser for for the show, um, and then 
10 years ago when all of the, the trauma and tragedy took place in my life, I have not done a show since 2003. I mean, I'm sorry, since 2013. So this is my first show. I, I tried about five years ago and there were so many things that happened that the show never went up. And I, I, I just acknowledged that it wasn't the time, but I, I posted on social media the other day that this show, this director, this cast, this time is now and is right. And um, I never would have known that I have so many um, connections to Lena Younger. But when you look at Lena's backstory and the trauma and the tragedy that she's experienced, um, including having lost a child. And there's a lot of people that probably don't acknowledge that she's lost a child because there are two lines in the in her dialogue that talk about the loss of her child, but it's never from her vantage point. It's from the vantage point of her husband and then later from her son. But you can hear, I can hear, I can feel that underlying pain um, in her in her voice of having lost this child. So I have a different level of compassion and understanding for her and for my grandmother, because my I think my grandmother was the Lena Younger in my life when we'd sit and eat cornbread and buttermilk and watch Johnny Carson, because that's kind of the way she ruled the house and cared for the family and really kind of what she said goes. And, and I think that I am the softer side of Lena. I, I think I'm the, the one that sees Ruth um, as, as potentially the daughter she always wanted. Benita, you know, is young and wild and free. And she always talks about, you know, Lena always talks about how she doesn't understand her children, you know, think times have changed, things have changed and she doesn't understand them, but she understands Ruth. And I think Ruth is kind of that ally for her in the show. And, you know, Walter Lee, Lena is grieving the loss of her husband, desperately wanting her son to step up and fill his shoes, but her son is doing other things. So I, I just see myself in, in Lena in so many ways, having children who are here that I have to parent differently than I, I did, you know, how, how I thought I was going to parent them. And, and losing Trey gave me new vision and new eyesight and um, um, understanding of my children, their needs and their voices. So um, those are some of the correlations that I have with the show and my own personal life. What made you decide to get back on the stage? Uh, it felt right. It felt right. When I was approached about the audition, I was like, okay, I, I, I like James Ellison. He's the director. He's a, you know, longtime friend. I'll go audition just because I told him I would. Mm -hmm. But when I got there reading the sides, you know, um, it's, it, it's, it's, 
I, I keep wanting to say the smell of the theater, but there's no smell in the theater, but other the um, um, figurative smell of just being in the space. And, and I, you know, I was afraid and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do it. And he was like, it's like riding a bike. And I was like, I'm 10 years older. I got cognitive issues now. I've come through all this trauma. I don't know if I could even memorize the script now, but it is, you know, like I showed you, Hey, I sleep with my script. It is, it is with me everywhere I go and every free moment, my face is in, in, in that dialogue and it feels good. Talk about, um, overcoming and being in a new space and a new season. This feels like another shift in my healing journey because this is something I love. It's something that I'm passionate about. Uh, and it's a beautiful opportunity to remind me to keep living and to keep fighting. Another reason I decided to do the show is because December is such a hard month. And each year, my therapist and I talk about how we're going to navigate the space. And we are always trying to elevate um, the our approach each year. And when this opportunity came about, I really was a no, I, you know, like I said, I was like, yeah, I'll do it because James is my friend. I'll go audition. But when I was offered the role, um, you know, my therapist said it really could be a great opportunity for you to push through um, that, 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 that time and that space differently this year because you'll have something else that's active that you love, that you remind you of your sister, that reminds you of your baby, um, and that gives you new life and new meaning because that is the story of the show. They are, a man died and they are waiting on a check uh, and or this opportunity to give them new life and to give them new meaning. And that's just another parallel in my life now. Um, so it's, it's a brilliant and beautiful, unnerving <laughs> and exciting challenge to face. That was beautiful and beautiful last words to wrap up our conversation today. Reverend Tammy, you've shared your heart with us and I want to say thank you. It's always a pleasure having you on the show and, and just having conversation with you, period, whether it's on the show or outside of the show. Um, you are one of my sheroes. And I really mean that, especially now knowing more of your backstory. And like I said, knowing, seeing how you show up. And when you said that line about, I thank God I don't look like what I've been through for you. I feel like that's a thing, but it's not a bad thing because you're not, you know, it's not a front like, but it's seeing how you show up. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, how you're always your organization, you show up in excellence. You show up in excellence everywhere you go. I, I look, I stalked you and came to faith fellowship. <laughs> And you, again, we're showing up in excellence. And so when you say that, not looking like what you've been through for you, I think that that really is a thing, but it's not in a negative way. It's you've gone through so much and you could show up in the world a completely different person, but you've taken the time to do the work and you are continuing to do the work. And I think that's the most important thing. And that's what an overcomer is. So I thank you so much for sharing 
appreciate you. You know that you always have an open door to Full Circle anytime um, to share more of yourself with the Full Circle family. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, And the sentiments are mutual. Definitely. I appreciate, honor, and value you as well. So thank you. Make sure that you get your tickets for Raisin in the Sun. It's happening December 1st through 24th at Celebration Arts. Uh, You can get your tickets at celebrationarts.net. I'll also post a link on the Full Circle social media pages. Make sure you're following Miss Wanda's Full Circle Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. That's how we're doing it, family. Show love to everyone you meet, and I'll see you next week. Peace. This has been Full Circle. Follow our Facebook page at Full Circle 97.5.